0: Uh, John 17, we've been calling this the real Lord's Prayer because this is the prayer that Jesus actually prayed. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer he tells us to pray. It's also known mostly as the high priestly prayer. And we're picking it up in, in the middle of it in verse 11 and we'll read to the end. This is God's holy and infallible word. This is Jesus praying. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. That's God's word for us this morning. Summer is over. Labor Day weekend, kind of the unofficial ending of summer, is behind us. School has started, ready or not. As we gear up for the fall church season, these verses show us Jesus praying for his disciples and for all of his people throughout the ages. And if Jesus is praying for all his people, well, that certainly includes us his people here at Faith Church. And, and so this morning, uh, we're going to see how Jesus is praying for faith. And that's truly something to embrace as we begin this new fall season together, as we welcome a new staff member, our new youth director. What is Jesus praying for us? You know, Like a lot of the stuff in John, these verses are a little can be a little tough. There's some tough things in there. What we're going to do is is lift up and pull out a number of the main themes. And we're going to see first that Jesus is praying here for faith's protection and for our keeping. Verse 11, protect them by the power of your name. Verse 12, none has been lost. Protect them from the evil one. Verse 15, Jesus... The good shepherd, John told us earlier, will not lose any of his sheep. And, and we talk, uh, when we talk about this, this type of language, we're referring to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That Jesus will keep his own. It's a tremendous comfort for you and for me, for our loved ones. No circumstance, no trouble can overpower the work of God. He who began a good work in you, Philippians says, will be faithful to complete it. And you can bank on that. You can trust in it. And this promise, this is for us together as a church too. That that He's going to protect us. And that that He's going to keep us. So much, if you look back over the years, so much has Gone on and happened, things change, and we wonder about that sometimes in God's church, and maybe we worry. Will God provide for us this year? Do we have enough volunteers to do what He calls us to do? Will He be with us? Um are those trick questions? <laughs> Are those trick questions? Of course He will provide for us. Of course it will work out. He promises to protect us. He promises to keep us. Jesus says elsewhere that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Satan tries to disrupt, Satan wants the church to fail, Satan wants us to be fearful, he wants us to be timid in the face of an uncertain future, but 2 Timothy 1.7 says God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but he's given us a spirit of power. What are we afraid of Sometimes. When we think of the church, why worry? Why not boldly move forward with courage? Jesus is praying for our protection and keeping. He will certainly keep us. On the foundation of his promises, on the foundation of this prayer, we worship and we serve and we grow together. And so we step out and we try new ministry, new ways of outreach, new service opportunities, new ventures. And you know what? We can't go wrong. We're in Father's grip. Secondly, Jesus is praying for faith's joy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The New Testament is practically dripping with the idea of joy for believers. Christians can have a deep joy and Jesus prays for our joy in verse 13. Now, it's true for us. What might that mean for faith? Do we have the joy of the Lord as a church body? I think of joy and worship. John Kelvin, the great reformer, in his commentary on the Psalms, and the Psalms are all songs, you know. Maybe you didn't know that. Look, they're poetry, but that's over the that's the song of the church. They're all songs. John Calvin says the only reason to add music to words, in other words, that we sing and don't just chant things along, it's for our emotions to be lifted up to God. Many of us um, here have northern European blood of some kind running through our veins and let's face it, and I'm speaking as one of those who has Northern European blood, um, many of the people of that type are a little more quiet about their emotions. They can be more reserved. In fact, uh, a while back I was at a, a large leadership conference where people from all over the world attended. And and what uh, they did, one of the speakers did, uh, who was introducing us to it, he called out the name of a country, and then the people from that country, wherever they were, were in that auditorium, identified themselves. Anyone here from Mexico? Yeah! Cheers! All of that. Anyone here from Brazil? Yeah! Big cheers! Italy? Lots of cheers! Anyone here from Germany? It was literally that profound a difference. Several hand claps. People are wired differently. Perhaps showing the joy of the Lord is easier for some churches than others. Others might need to work at it just a bit. Friends, Jesus prays for our joy. The joy of the Lord is talked about all the time in the Bible when God touches us. Let's let it show in our worship, in how we welcome others who come through the doors, in our small groups, in our homes, and in our Bible studies, in our church. Third, Jesus is praying for faith's holiness. Holiness is another way of talking about what Jesus refers to in this prayer as uh, that we be sanctified. And holiness to be sanctified means to be set apart. So then we wonder, set apart from what? Well, set apart from the world and the world's ways, the world's values. We are in the world. We want to reach the world. But Jesus says in verse 14, we are not of the world. And he prays that we be sanctified from it in verse 19. And we talked about our personal holiness a couple weeks ago, but what about the church as a whole being holy and and set apart and sanctified? There's a lot, I believe, we could say about that. We could talk about our desire as a whole to be growing. Paul talks about striving for the prize. And as a church, we want to grow in the Lord, not stand still in our walk with God. But one of the things it means, I think, is that we don't do things like the world. Holiness means being set apart. There are things, of course, that we learn from non-Christians about leadership, good organization, and so forth, but we're not a business. We're a church. There's a difference. Our model here for a pastor is not CEO, but the biblical image of the shepherd, of the flock, And, and you know... We don't run a church like a social club where it's just about people who are part of the group already. We don't run a church like a place of entertainment where the goal is to touch the senses or manipulate. We don't run a church like a museum where the goal is to preserve the past. No, we're holy. We're in the world, but not of it. Our gatherings are different. Our music and hymnody, it's different. Our purposes and goals and values are different. We have to reach the world. We have to connect, but think about it. It's only in being holy, it's only in being a part that we're going to have anything to say to the world, right? If we conform to the world, if we do things the world's way, if we give the same message as the world, what? In the world do we have to offer? The world is stuck. The world is in deep trouble if you haven't noticed. And nothing in the world can help. The world needs something and someone that's out of this world for anything to happen. And the church has been entrusted with this this out-of-this-world message and the gift of Jesus who came into the world to live here a little while and die on the cross and rise again to save sinners and pull us out of the trouble of this world. That's three. Fourth, Jesus prays that faith be sanctified by the truth. He says those exact words in verse 17. And then he says in verse 18 to the Father, your word is truth. That's not 18, that's verse 8. Sorry, it's in the before we read tonight. He talks about giving his disciple the words the Father has given him. So this word, that's the essence of the difference of the church. We talk about being set apart, how... Through the Word, we are made holy. And so for our church, God's Word is central. And I've said it many times, this is why experience God's Word is the first of the three E's of our mission statement. Before, express God's love and equip God's people. As important as all of those three E's are, we believe, for a biblically balanced church, the Word of God is first. This is where the out of this world message comes from. We believe this word is God breathed, as 2 Timothy 2 3 says. It is inspired by God Himself. Unlike anything else in this world, this is a word from God. It's not from people. We have Sunday school, we have catechism starting for grades 1 through 12 next week we have that because jesus is praying for our sanctification by the truth this is our lamp for living parents let's make it a priority to send our kids starting next sunday what else have we got to offer but god's word not much we've got to know it jesus is praying that we would let's not brush it aside There's an unknown writer that wrote this. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map. It's the pilgrim's staff. It's the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened. The gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts. It will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. So friends, let's live out together the prayer of Jesus about his word. So it shapes us and sanctifies us. And and may we stand and may we be known as a church of the word at faith. More than anything else, would we stand as that? Will we be it? Jesus is also praying about faith's mission. All of this keeping and protecting the joy, the holiness, the truth. It isn't to keep for ourselves. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them, my disciples, into the world. Verse 23 talks about Jesus' prayer for the church being answered. Why? Why? that the world may know. So we're sent. We carry the light. We proclaim the truth. We bring the joy of the Lord to a world that needs it. The disciples would go out after Jesus gave them the Great Commission to the corners of the earth and we continue in their line on that mission of making disciples, teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded to us, and and so we have a mission, we're sent out, and that means faith church doesn't sit still. We've got a purpose, we've got a mission, and Jesus is praying for it, so that mission is absolutely certain to have results. Six, and this is finally, Jesus is praying for faith's unity. Unity. You see that throughout the prayer. It's especially a big theme in those last five or six verses. The unity of the church is also a really strong emphasis all throughout the New Testament. To be a church united. I think that faith has a good sense of this. People who have joined us observe the unity And they comment on it with appreciation. We're a church that wants harmony. We don't want there to be bickering or division or issues. And that's a good thing because God wants our unity. And it doesn't always happen. Not all churches have it. There are churches where people are at each other's throats. Where there's this group versus that group. And so I would just say cherish this unity appreciate it, and keep the unity. The unity doesn't mean everyone thinks alike. It doesn't mean we're all robots. But we are one. We value unity, and that's good because it's what pleases our God. Where? How do you get that? How do you keep it? Why? Why do we have it? Where does unity come from? It's not just sort of this warm and fuzzy feeling of being together and and just doing whatever it takes so that we all get along nice. Unity comes from the Lord Himself. And, And as we stay connected to Jesus, as we look to Jesus, we will be one. And it's when we start looking other places that disunity starts to come in and there there's a, an illustration of that that A.W. Tozer gives in his book The Pursuit of God and it's an illustration of a tuning fork. I don't have a tuning fork. I'm not sure we have any around here, but it looks it's a, it's a metal large metal piece with a thing like that and if I had one I'd ring it, but you have good imaginations, you can imagine that. And he writes, has it ever occurred to you Hundreds of pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not tuning to each other, but by being tuned to another standard to to which each one must individually bow. And so... Hundreds of worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in nearer to each other than they could possibly be if they were to become unity conscious and, and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. And so the key to unity is looking to Jesus. And that's where we want to direct, don't we, Each person who comes to faith, not to ourselves, not to certain programs, but we're going to highlight our programs today because their purpose is Jesus. Not bringing them to a certain tradition of some sort, no. We want to bring people to Jesus I want to include, conclude with just several ways that we might live out Jesus' prayer, live out some of these themes as a member of the church, suggestions on, on how you and I can live some of these themes. Jesus prays for our church's protection and keeping. He keeps us, he protects us. That means as a member of his church, you exude a certain amount of confidence And trust in Jesus because your church is secure in His hand. We look at the world and we are troubled, to say the least. We're concerned, to say the least. Where is it all going? We really don't know. And there is no guarantee, let's face it, that it's all going to get worked out in the Middle East. There's no guarantee this is going to get worked out in the Ukraine. There's no guarantee at all but it's different with the church of Jesus. About the church, we don't have an attitude that everything's going downhill. Jesus will keep his church. And that has an effect on your outlook and on your attitude as you walk in, as you worship, as you greet people. You're welcoming them to the only organization in this world that can't lose. When you give of your time, your talent, your treasure you can do so cheerfully, generously, with excitement, because you know what? You're giving of yourself to the only sure investment in the history of the world, and that is the church and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is praying for our holiness. As individual members, each one of us is called to take responsibility for our own holiness, our own spiritual life, that that we're growing, that we're keeping from sin, that we're seeking purity. And and so, so God calls us to guard our hearts and our lives. Do it for your own sake. Do it for the sake of those close to you. But also do it for the sake of this church. If each one of us is seeking to take care of business at home, in our hearts, boy... We're really going to begin, more than ever, to have a church that reflects the holiness of our God. And finally, I want to urge you and call you to listen for that tuning fork for living that is Jesus Christ. Everyone wants to belong somewhere. Everyone wants to be a part of something. Well, You want to experience one of the greatest forms of unity and fellowship that you'll ever have on this earth? Follow Jesus. Believe on Him. Respond to His invitation to come and to tune your life to Him. And you can, by grace, through faith. And be part of a church like this one where where other people saved by grace, are tuning their lives to Jesus too. The church of Jesus Christ is where it's at, my friends. It's where you want to belong. As, as Jesus prays for his church throughout the ages, we know he is praying even for Faith Christian Reform Church. Isn't that incredible? May God bless us richly for his glory as we head into a new season of ministry. And may God bless you richly as you grow in Jesus, as you connect and grow and serve here too. Amen.